Hello and welcome to the Dunamis EQ podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have the privilege of having Michelle Leavesley. She was actually one of my lecturers back at university. I'm not going to say how many years ago, um, but she was she was actually one of my favorite lecturers, to be honest. And I'm not just saying that because she's here, but genuinely. So Greg and I have sometimes spoken about you, Greg Freeman, in the past um, and some of the stuff that you've you've taught us. So it's a real honor and a pleasure to have you here. So thank you so much for joining. Absolute pleasure. Real, real fantastic for me to come back and see us all these years, sort of that pay it forward kind of I taught you now yes. you're teaching loads of people. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm, thank you so much, but I'm just giving the opportunity for great leaders like yourself to teach other people. I'm I'm actually just here to listen. I, I get a lot more out of this than I think other people might. So it's, it's a great honor for me to sit with people like you. Um, and just to hear how you think, how you've developed to who you are today. So thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Console. No problem. So would you mind um, just giving a bit of an intro about yourself? Tell us like who you are, what do you do, a little bit about your journey. Sure. Um, so I guess I would probably describe myself as a layer cake. Does that make sense? Okay, so yeah. View of my, um, my roots. So I'm from South Wales. Um, okay. Barry, Barry Island, um, born into an Irish family. So very Celtic, okay. uh, warm, curious uh, yeah. family um, and obviously community. Yeah. Uh, and I found sport. Uh, so okay. yeah, I leveraged sport then to move into a world that I could only dream of. So tennis was my thing. I okay. academically wasn't great at school, so I moved use tennis to then leave her into a a, a really nice uh, supportive school that could support me on that journey um and then sort of latter years uh found business and so through working in tennis um i think i was really passionate about helping others find what mm. they were passionate about and yeah. whether it was sport or yeah just 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 the passion the thing that got them up in the morning um, so I was drawn into business marketing, uh, which is obviously where we both met yeah. um, and had 10 amazing years uh, running my own business as a head of an agency, but also teaching wonderful, bright things like you um, and also being challenged uh, in respect of the world around us. So um, and then I've just built on that, as I say, the layers keep going, but, you know, yeah. uh, leverage from being a entrepreneur, startup through to working more recently in a FTSE in a financial services firm, but basically doing the oh, same. Really? No, it's the sort of same okay. same kind of ethos of purpose-driven, helping people, supporting yeah. people to be the best that they can. So, yeah, as a risk manager, I found that moving marketing to risk has been... That's a big change. Um, well, it, well, it is and it isn't because okay. you know, as marketeers, we're trained to identify, anticipate, satisfy customers and their mm. needs, hopefully for profit. Um, uh, but in, in a risk environment, you're, you know, you're trying to understand that journey too, but you're looking at what could stop that from happening along that journey. So uh, it, that transition is actually a lot um, smoother and a lot, it makes a lot more sense than a lot of people realize. So I, I'm yeah. hoping that, you know, with a big focus on diversity in the workplace, and you know, um, diversity of thought that we'll get a lot more transference from people of different backgrounds, like marketeers moving into risk, mm. um, and and people trying other careers. Because um, I just don't believe that you've just you've know, got to sit in your yeah. channel, sit in your lane, hold um, of your career. Because I think when I think of risk, I think of financial models. I think of all of those kind of things. I don't ever really think of the the people side of it or understanding the customer side of it. So that's a really interesting distinction. Um, okay, so how did you think about making that move? Like, what made you do that? Um, so my my journey, I, I'd like to say it was part of a really well constructed plan. <laughs> but um, and we'll come on to talk about you know the, the, I guess this comes back to a little bit around the emotional intelligence piece of mm. I just I, I felt that I needed to progress. I needed to do something okay. different. Um, and so I, I'm i very curious. I'll try something. Mm. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail quickly. It's cool, yeah. yeah. Uh, it allows me this sort of opportunity to fail 
get back up and gosh there's many times i failed so um so yeah i i you know the the opportunity arose to join what was prudential at the time um right like pride um yeah i was really sort of drawn into the sports part of participation and and, and a lot of people were getting on their bikes um but actually uh there was a, a bigger opportunity for me to support from a culture perspective from a branding perspective and then look at the some of the risks in and around that so um but but also the sort of culture of risk so helping teams to really um you know sort of hold the hand up you know actually i've made a mistake or i recognize that this isn't good can uh, you know i need t- the team around me to help support me to overcome this challenge and and i think that that's no different to marketing you know it's not you know, understanding what others are going through and the challenges to help them is what we do as marketeers. Mm. Yeah. Um, so honestly, lots of alignment and and I just hope that more people go into that profession in future. That's actually amazing. I would have never thought that that was a, a transition at all. Um, yeah. So so one of the things you mentioned there was emotional intelligence. So what what does that mean to you? So, um, so for, for me, emotional intelligence, um, and again, you know, I know this proper definitions, this is the Michelle definition, which, um, for me, it's the ability of a person to digest emotional information okay. um, and, uh, that, emo- that information is you know is often behavioral so i think you know it's that ability to translate someone's behavior so you, know, you notice that somebody is being they're withdrawn uh from conversation um you are noticing that they're perhaps a little bit more defensive uh more aggressive or even just defeatist and just given up and and are not engaging and it's the sort of emotional part of that information that you're taking on board and you're trying to assimilate. Um, and one of my big gurus, I've followed Nancy to art, who she describes this much more eloquently than me, but she talks about sort of three phases of that, you know, mm. understanding yourself, uh, understanding others, mm-hmm. and then your ability to adjust your behavior, okay. your response as a result of those two two elements. And I find it just really fascinating because um, I think, you know, I, 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 I I'd mentioned sport was my mm. my saver mm. and um you know growing up a quite challenging community um uh, a lot of my the local communities um jobs were based on Barry docks and the geese boats and Butlins holiday camp and one <laughs> I know it's out in the cab closed the dock yeah. closed mass unemployment it was really challenging you know having friends most most of my friends families were linked to those two professions and yeah. it was a challenging environment and um so sport got me into a really good place um but then i really struggled at school really struggled at school um and i it's only later on in life that sort of realized that actually there was an element of um so you you would have studied vark on your course so we talk about so this ability to take on information yeah earning preferences has mm. just revolutionized my mind because okay. you know, understanding that you've got visual um yeah. some people learn through listening uh some people who read right kinesthetic yeah now what i've what i've found is that um, and you know through many years now of um i suppose testing expertise coaching support that i'm a kinesthetic learner and it that right it, complete sense now because sports yeah. sports yeah by using your body um you show me and i i mirror you I, I learn and i learn really quickly you tell me it'll take me a long time to get there i'll have to translate what you're saying into something into that's... movement okay and so, so i you know a long way long way around talking about the what emotional intelligence has sort of really meant for me but kinesthetic and emotional intelligence are really closely linked um and it's been really interesting to understand that yeah, there's different stats like some people say it's only five percent of the population are kinesthetic learners some say up to 15 percent mm. but we know that kinesthetic learners still a small major small minority wow small minority have this gene 
which is this kinesthetic learning. So, you know, emotional intelligence being um, taking on that emotional information. So as a kinesthetic learner, um, the research shows I'm a, a little bit more, um, uh, yeah, sort of focused on kinesthetic type engagement, which lends itself to emotional intelligence. It's really so. Is that kinesthetic in terms of also being in an engagement with someone else? So I always saw kinesthetic as, you know, you need to do an activity to learn. But it sounds like what you're saying is that where that links with emotional intelligence is that now we're in a kinesthetic engagement together. We're moving, we're learning, we're talking, and there's action with that. And you're reading off what I'm doing in a kinesthetic way. Is that is that the information that you're talking about? Yeah, so I think it's the... Absolutely, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling emotion. So um, I'm feeling, uh, yeah, your your energy. I, mm. So I'm driving off your energy, um, and that that you're interested, you're focused yes. on the subject, and that engagement and interest um, is help. Yeah, it's helping me with my conversation, and it's amazing uh, exhibiting emotional intelligence. So, yeah, you take that, um, you know, Vark kinesthetic that essential mm. population who are more likely to be um very high or test very high in emotional intelligence um so i think that, that for me got through through my career because i sort of yeah let's go why am i struggling so hard yeah. and stuff because you don't they're not we weren't taught kinesthetically you know it was all um class lectures and and go and read a book mm. um and i used to sit and read a book think oh, i still have a time <laughs> yeah what's wrong with me um so it's great to find that actually the superpower of kinesthetic yes. suddenly um yeah that 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 sort of transition has been helped by being in a boardroom environment where i've had amazing mentors who've said mm. shall you know your role in this boardroom um well no what is it <laughs> and um, you know, ma amazing chair um, norman gascoigne who gave me my first opportunity at edgbaston um mm took a big risk on me uh bringing me in as the first female non-exec director of the cricket club ever 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 wow. ever yeah he gave me the gave me the hammer to smash the glass ceiling um he believed in me before i realized that i had that ability and he explained he slapped me down on there and explained it to me and said look you're here as the temperature gauge of this boardroom you need to tell me if somebody's not buying into a decision um, if they're not happy with the direction of travel, you need to support me. We were yin and yang, he, uh, uh, and I would feed back. That was wow. use my emotions. Wow, dream. So, so how did you, how did he how did he know that you were like that? Like, what was the engagement that you had before with him that kind of convinced him that actually you're the person that he needed for this? It's quite like historical, right? There's that's not happened before, and it's quite a big risk. It's quite yeah. a big uh, quite a big risk. So how how did how did you guys get to that place where he was like I want you to be there? Yeah, so well, it, it was a, a it's a a strange interview environment because I was interviewed by a panel of nine people. So probably <laughs> exhibited a little bit of of the trait around the table in respect okay. of um, you know when you've got nine people questioning and some uh, I suppose you talk about sort of. Di diversity including the inclusion part emotional intelligence and the mm. inclusion closely embedded so linked yeah sitting around that table did i feel like i was included i did by certain you know two or three people sat around that table but others not at all they they, they couldn't going back to sort of nancy nancy's story you know knowing yourself knowing mm. the other person and then adapting adjusting and adapting yeah they were in they were in their environment and not prepared to adapt to allow me into that, um, whereas Norman knew that that had to change and to transform that environment. So I think what, um, yeah, I, I suspect it, it started at interview, but mm -hmm. then certainly my first committee meeting before we transitioned to a board, um, you know, Norman would give me instant feedback and say, that was fantastic. You, you, you know, you, you took them on, you, you actually wow. engaged. Um, but but then contributed so and um, fed back some of the emotions. So I'd noticed. I said, "We're well, looking a little bit frustrated there. Can we, we just get under the skin of that?" <laughs> you um, said that in the meeting. Um, yeah, you you have to. I think sometimes, you know, you, you obviously you've got the logic part of yes. the, you know, the the left brain, but but sometimes actually 
I found it really helpful sometimes to um, play back some of the mm. um, the emotion that I see around the table to help people because sometimes people bleak body language. Yeah, and all, all the time <laughs> they don't even know. <laughs> they don't exactly. <laughs> How did they respond to that? Like, did they did they respond well to being questioned like that? Because sometimes that can be a bit like, whoa. Yeah, and and I think it's really yeah how you do that. And I am I am still a work in progress. I will always be a work in progress in terms of um, trying to improve my mm. check and challenge um, mm. exams, sort of director exams, a couple of years ago. And you know, you were observed on how you checked and challenged in a boardroom environment and i know sometimes you know it can be a bit too much for that individual so you, you know going back to emotional intelligence i have to practice what i preach as well and adapt mm. and hold my emotion in um mm. if uh it's not going to be helpful um but sometimes i find it really helpful and there's some people say oh i'm really sorry i didn't realize that's how i was going yeah. across and i yeah. i've had quite a few people apologize to either others in the meeting because maybe they were Go gunning for somebody else. <laughs> it's been aggressive. Or wow. after it's just that you really made me think. I didn't realise awesome. cross like that. Um and awesome. thank you for 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 calling that out because um otherwise how would they know? Yeah. And and I think that that really helps to build psychological safety because those kind of things unchecked, those are the things that bubble under the surface that next time when someone wants to speak, they're like, oh, but that person might blow up about it and this and that. And when you can challenge people openly and if people are willing to accept it and apologize and things like that, that builds real psychological safety. And it also like raises the EQ of everybody in the room because then they're more aware of themselves, they're more aware of other people and then they can adjust. And I think you're so right. It's never a, I now have emotional intelligence and that's it. It's like a lifelong I'm learning, I'm growing. Oh, okay, that normally works, but that didn't work now. How do I adjust, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that that nurture nature part of that equation. So I believe that I've got a certain gene pool that meant that I was a kinesthetic learner. I was sort of the 5%, which, mm. um, you know, I remember a psychologist who worked with us back in the day as sports, as athletes, saying you're gonna struggle a little bit michelle people might not necessarily understand where you're coming from because you're in this sort of little group over here but you have a superpower so use it wisely um so i yeah i i think it's it's hugely powerful but you need to be aware of yourself and 100 and i think that that comes with maturity a little because you think oh i've got emotional intelligence you know i'll listen to somebody i'll listen i hear a lot of people students said i just listen yeah, no, but what do you do as a result yeah. of that? <laughs> yeah, You're, that's the first part. So what? You know, so, yeah. so have you thought about your own biases? Have you thought about mm. how mm. that information, how you're digesting that information? Um, mm. And at, at uni, we talked about self-referencing. And and the, there's a big challenge with that. You know, but, but I believe, therefore you mm. must be. Mm. Uh, so you have to strip all that back and, and get to the point of, right, I understand me okay, I'm listening to you. What are you looking for from this? Mm. Um, and how do you want me to respond? You know, is it you just want me to listen and be with you? So lots of people talk about empathy when they talk mm. about emotional intelligence, that ability to walk alongside somebody. Um, or there are, you know, there are situations where people want you to give them your, especially in a boardroom environment, mm. um, to give your opinion. And you need to decipher when that is because it's no good to say, oh, I'm walking with you. I'm really supportive. And oh, no, no, I just want, please tell me what, what you yeah. think, Michelle. So. Mm. And I, I think that's one of the things. So I'm, I'm still quite early in my leadership career. And that's one of the things I'm really trying to understand. Say like with my direct reports, for example, like if you're talking to me about this thing, what do you want from me? You know, and sometimes I just ask, I'm like, what would you like from me in this situation? Because I don't want to tell you what to do if that's not what you want, right? Of, of course, I've got my thoughts about what you can do in this situation, but is that what you're, is that why you're asking me? Because that can go lots of different ways if I'm just giving you what I think every time. And I don't actually know what you need. You know, like, what is it that you need from me right now? And yeah. it's, it's a really, it's something that I'm really trying to find the balance with, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
No, and, you know, likewise, I'll mention coaches a lot. I've had a lot of coaching through the years because I think growing up in sport, you recognise that actually a coach makes you better. Better, yeah. So actually, why would you do anything differently in a business environment? Um, Mm. Whether it's a leader who also mentors and coaches you, that's, you know, I've had lots of that as well. But sometimes it's nice to have that independent, safe, you talked about safe. Um, So I, I think that that, you know, working with a psychologist again, it's been a sort of you know, a reality check for me that sometimes we overcoach. I've got a tendency to overcoach. Hmm. Um, and it's as you, exactly as you've just described. Somebody comes to you, asks you for help, and it's understanding what type of help they want. Because because of my kinesthetic, you know, I'll start thinking about, okay, they seem a little bit lacking in confidence. Maybe I should help them with but they're confident. You know, they, they've only asked me if I could introduce them to somebody because they're thinking about it. And I'm thinking about their confidence, yeah. about how they show up in the morning, and yeah. thinking about all these other things that they could do. So um, that, um, yeah, that emotional intelligence, I've got to hold back. That might be how I feel, but it's not yeah. necessarily what that person needs. Needs, yeah. Or, or wants to be fair. And and those are two quite different things. And that's the thing is that when what someone needs doesn't align with what they want, it's quite a tough, quite a tough bridge, gap to bridge to say, well, I know you don't want it, but you need it. And in a lot of ways, that's not really our place to tell them that. What I'm trying to figure out is how can I, if 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 necessary, how can I influence and kind of help them to understand that that's what they actually need, you know, and how can you get them to that place of, but you also do need it, you know. It's it's such a it's such an interesting balance, I think. Yeah, and I think, and you mentioned a really interesting word that influence. Mm. And I think you know, from from business school, you know, we've mm. studied influence to death as marketeers, as particularly on the sort of sales and promotions area. Um, yeah. To Caldini um, uh, talks about sort of seven models or seven um, factors that can help and support with influence but I think you have to it's just, it, I, I see I see you've got a privilege somebody comes to you and asks for help that is such a privileged privilege agreed and I think when you start getting into the realms of influencing maybe again going back to your own bias because I think this way mm. uh, I, I, I start to feel really uncomfortable about that and being authentic with how you influence from the point of view of yes. On your terms, not on mine. On your exactly, um, exactly. I think it's really fascinating. Uh, mm. Yeah, definitely. There's something that you said actually um, about the the sports psychologist, um, yeah. and and I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about sports. Um, so I was I played basketball, which is like a team sport, um, but you did tennis, which is often an individual sport with elements of doubles and team like that. So I wanted to understand a little bit more about kind of your sports journey. So if you had a sports psychologist, that means that you're playing at some kind of also probably quite a decent level. So what were the things that you learned from kind of that high level competition um, in terms of emotional intelligence? Because in basketball, I have to be vibing with my team. I have to understand you as my teammate, you know, how do we all get together? There's like 12 of you, right? Normally there's five on court at a time, but you have to be understanding and growing together with people. How did playing an individual sport, how did that help you in terms of emotional intelligence? Like, it sounds yeah, like such a different great. journey. Well, they're really great question. Um, so again, I, I think from uh, what was really helpful being an individual sport, and I'm playing golf now, so I'm still sort of okay. on the individual sport journey. Um, the understanding myself part of the three mm-hmm. bucket, if you like. Um, so when you're on a tennis court, you know, noticing myself, noticing my own emotional response mm. to a situation. Um, and I found that really quite useful. And I, mm. I noticed that. I, 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 I see that in young talent coming through. Mm. Um, because if you notice that you respond to something, so I, in my case with tennis, um, it could be, I don't know, the court was slightly slippy. Maybe somebody was making a bit of noise at the back of the court as you're going to serve. Um, but noticing my emotional response to that was really, really important because if I let that distract me and I started getting frustrated with them, then I might double fault and then I'd be frustrated with me that I've let that kind of upset my um, my flow, my momentum. 
Um, likewise, my opponent, what noticing what emotionally they were doing on the other side mm. of the really important. So if I was on the verge of, um, well, I, I might be, I might be behind, but they might have one bad shot and lose their head. And they might might be really subtle body language, a drop of the head, or a or a you know they you know sort of put a ball down in a slightly different way to the way that they've done for the last set. Mm. Uh, that would be my cue to think I've I've actually got them here. They're all right. I've got them. Yeah. Uh, I need to I need to power up now because I've got this. Even though I might be trailing behind, that one point might have just knocked them into a zone that I can now get a few games. Maybe even get another another sat under my belt, um, and so I, I think. And then how you, res- you know, that third bucket of how you then react, right. just check your emotion. I might have felt like this is not going my way, and I'm not sticking to my game plan, but I'm not going to let that that person see that mm. this is where I'm at right now. So mm. I think it's really really powerful, and that, and that emo- I think not being in a team sport helped me because it meant i had to i was on you my own. have to that's I interesting to, i had to manage my emotions in that situation and and i'm finding it now in goal um where I, there's a sort of certain pressure um i had some I actually had a, 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 a session yesterday with my my golf coach um new golf coach who just gets kinesthetic learning he's amazing mm. doesn't want me to think about anything just says feel it go feel it go don't do not if I spend too much time um, between sort of practice swing and putt or practice swing and uh, whichever stroke I'm taking, it's all going to go wrong. I have to feel it. Um, but, you know, again, he's sort of saying, right, you, you're in your zone. Yeah, if people are coming behind you and they put time pressure on you or there's a load going on on the course, you've got to block it out. Just as back in the day on the tennis court, it's a, uh, okay, zone in, how am I feeling? If I'm playing against opposition, how are they feeling? And then let's, you know, that that's competition. So, um, so I guess it's a, I don't know, it's a reverse of what we do in the workplace. In the workplace, I find you use emotional intelligence to to be team, to support, to know. In a competitive environment, I can switch into a different zone. Absolutely. That yeah. that kind of one-on-one competition is so different to team competition, right? Because in a in a basketball team environment i have to it's pretty much the same thing that you do in business right so yeah, i'm tall yeah. but i'm not i'm not talented at basketball right i overthink i think so much so much so much but i got to play at a semi pro level because of the other stuff that i could bring so i definitely i was the worst player on my team by far like the worst player on my team but the coach kept me around because i can do the emotional intelligence stuff you know, when we're in practice, I can bring people along. I can bring the energy. I know when, okay, the energy's low. I need to bring some energy. I can be vocal. And it's quite similar in business. But yeah. that one-on-one sounds so, like, it's a world I've never been in. But it sounds so fascinating. Like, when you, even just watching you talk about it. And I can almost see you, like, locking back in. You know, back into those <laughs> moments of, like, okay. I can see that person doing those things. And I'm watching every move. And it's it's just so different, but it's so fascinating. It is so well, fascinating. It's interesting, even at so obviously I, my world has been cricket for the last ten years, mm. and just obviously I I uh, I didn't I was an independent form actor, so I didn't come from a cricketing background. Mm. But you know, and I sort of perceive it team sport, team sport. Mm. But actually, mm. you know, there is a lot of individual characteristics, and when you hear the, um, you know, the 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 guys going into bat talking about. They are watching for the even slightest movement of the hand, mm. slightest change in the mm. bowler's arm. Mm. The detail is is fascinating. But I guess that's why a lot of the sports people have OCD. Yeah, you know, they yeah. have. They can zone yeah, in attention to detail. Tiny, tiny thing. Yeah. Um. So I think that that's yeah. It's, uh... it's so true. So when I went to America for my year abroad, I went to a Division One school, which is one of the like it's the top top level in america and i tried out there and that was when i realized just how different the levels are because firstly they just run you to death right and then once they've run you to death they say okay when you guard someone this is what i want you to see 
when their shoulder does this, your hips need to be here. When they do this, you need to be, I'm just thinking, I'm just so tired. Like, how do you want me to remember all of these things? But the detail, <laughs> it is, it's fascinating just how, you know, when you watch footballers or whatever, and you're like, oh, I could do that. Like, we, we really can't because of the details that they can see, the details that they know how to respond to, and it's a natural response. We just don't have that. We, yeah. we don't have that at all it's it's a different level um talk to me about a bit about the sports psychologist oh so well through the years i've had different so um i've also worked with a um a hypnotherapist as well which was okay. really interesting where it start to break down you know when i i went through a phase where i was going on court and i i just couldn't win i just couldn't right. like, tell you you know and mm. um and it just came back to I was sort of putting more competitors on the other side of the net. It was really bizarre. And mm. sort of, um, a hypnosis uh, when you sort of calm down. Okay, mm -hmm, what are mm -hmm. you saying? Well, I'm seeing about five or six people on the other side of the net. Wow. You know? And and I and I couldn't explain why. You know, I sort of was, I felt small, and I felt mm. that there were lots of competitors on the other side, and I could never win. And after that session, wow. I went out and I won love, love. Uh, <laughs> I went out again and uh, framing of no, you're not small and they're large and they've got yeah. mates helping you. Wow. Um, actually, you're large, you're confident, you're um mm. so so I found that really interesting and and I, I think through the years, you know, this there's a common theme in my world of get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Um and I had someone say that to me recently, um in a professional sense of just got to get out of your own way sometimes, Bashar, because, you know, I do think, I, you know, I can overthink at times. I'm a kinesthetic learner, but if I get into the overthinking mode, mm. I tell you, because, you know, I, I can think of all the reasons why something might not work. Mm. And if I'm doing that while I'm doing the activity, that's not, mm. not a good place to be. Right. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, I think it's like external looking in. And I think in sport, um, it's, Oh, you're on stage I don't think you know you are you know whether it's basketball or tennis or cricket you're on a stage and it and it you don't need to have spectators there you 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 know you just it can be enough the fact that you know when you walk off that court you're you know you're a winner or you self-label yeah. as a loser rather than actually what am I going to take out today um, yeah. and I'm really loving golf because I am I've got no pressure. It's mm. about what am I going to take out today? You know, okay, I'm mm. going to, um, you know, s stick to trying to get to a you know putter hole in two. Okay, that that's my goal for today. And I can, mm. whereas I think you know, obviously, as as when you're trying to make it, you know, I wanted to win. Yes. Wow, you, you, I was going to go on the tour, and I was going to bigger big dreams. Um, but I also think that emotional intelligence kicks in help with the resilience around that as well where you have a big dream mm. uh, and yeah do you know what I, is that realistic am, 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 am i um am i that good am i actually that good to be able to do that <laughs> and having that fifa of actually coach, coaches being honest i think and, and this better leaders as well being honest with your feedback but obviously not from a hurtful place no. you know you're never gonna make it um, give up now, leave my changing room or my dressing room, um, but being constructive with how you yeah. help, yeah, I think it's really important. And I think that comes back to your emotional intelligence. And I don't know, what basketball coaches, what have you seen, you know, in terms of how, is it a kind of brutal environment or is it nurturing? I, you know, I don't know. That's a really interesting question. And to be honest, I've had a mix of both of both yeah. of those types of coaches. I think <clears throat> there is an element of you have to be very realistic. It's like, okay, you say you want to go to the NBA, but you do these things every day. And those things are not the habits of an NBA player, right? So there's an element of, if you've told me you want to go to the NBA, my responsibility to you is also to tell you that like, this is where you're ready. This is where you're not ready. It's not to say you can never be ready, but understand this is how much work you're going to have to put in to be ready for that yeah. and then they can decide like do i want to put in the work or not and if you tell me you want to put in the work i have to hold you accountable to put in that work every day every yeah. single day because a lot of these nba players have been playing since they were four years old yeah. you know they've been playing high competition and even in england 
we're not, we're getting there now we have a couple of nba players but even our competitive nature as english people is not there yeah, honestly yeah. it's it's not there and it, it really makes me sad even for like the next generations because americans compete they compete yeah, at the yeah. heart. just yeah. everything they do is like competition yeah. and yeah that makes me a bit sad about the uk sometimes is that we we're getting better but we still don't compete yeah yeah you know yeah, no, I, yeah, I get that i think i think um we talked about risk earlier and mm. i certainly know you know in the cricket world we're we're trying to be bolder and braver and take a mm. lot more risks and mm. i don't know as a culture we want risk averse so we're a bit compliant a bit conservative a bit, bit conservative in our approach and does that hinder us i wonder um talking to our, our women's coach you know she she's really empowered laura mcleod she's really empowered mm. um our, our our female women women cricketers to go out and just yeah take risks go for it you know we want mm. to win go for yeah. it it's yeah incredible. that's awesome it's, it's good to see that there's some changes in how we're approaching things like that because i think it's so necessary for us to actually win on the bigger stages you have to be willing to take risks. You have to, you have to fail sometimes and know that that works, that doesn't work. So um, it's really good to hear that there are, there are things that are happening throughout our sports that are that are starting to bring that through. That's really encouraging for me because yeah. for me it's quite sad that we suck at so many sports. <laughs> <laughs> like we made so many of these sports, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and I, you know, again, I come back to that overcoaching thing mm. because. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a, I used to do a dry forehand drive, which means you okay. don't ball bounce. You sort of mid court, which is called no man's land. You're not supposed to be there. You're either supposed mm. to be there or at the baseline. And so I sort of loiter in the middle, and uh, maybe because I was a bit too slow to get to the net, I don't know. But I developed an amazing um, uh, drive forehand volley, and and it, uh, and it was brutal. But of course, you know, a coach, I, I did have a coach who tried to coach that out of me. So no, no, Michelle, you must let the ball bounce. And mm, like, oh, you know, but why? <laughs> what? <laughs> that was my superpower at that time. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, mm. I, you also have to respect advice. And I think knowing when to take on that advice, and yes. that's perspective, I should let the ball bounce. Yes. Am I gonna am I gonna go with that? Or actually it feel it feels right. Again, coming back to my kids, that's it, it feels right. It feels right that I do it that way. So I think I should carry on doing it that way. It's a fine line. And and I think even if we think back, if I think back to the coaches that I had when I was in my teens, a lot of them didn't have the teaching about stuff that we're talking about now in terms of emotional yeah. intelligence, yeah. ways that people learn, you know, things like that. So they did what they thought was best. You know, yeah. they've heard you You have to let it bounce. So that's what they teach. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I had a coach who once told me, he said, you should never shoot the ball, right? Because at the time, I wasn't good at shooting the ball. But he was like, you don't shoot the ball. You rebound. You do this. And that's what he knew. I'm six foot six. So people who are six foot six don't shoot the ball, right? But the game has evolved now where people who are seven foot shoot the ball, you know? And he was going based on what he knew, not on what is coming they weren't he wasn't forward looking if that makes sense but that's what he knew you know that's not his fault that's what he's been taught you know but but things are changing now well i just think we need that we need that innovation don't we we need that um you know i was i was i i i've got lots of pink golf balls and um just i was giving them as a gift um they've got little bears on them for for um Birmingham bears and uh you know I sort of ran out of the course and everybody had white balls and they were like pink balls and you they're kind of right I need to I need to fit in I need to fit in mm. again to go and get some white balls I can't and, and it's just such a subtle thing but actually yeah again you know um the golf coach yesterday said no use your pink balls if they admit mm. you've got pink balls and they're thinking lying on you know actually that's you so yeah. um I don't know why sometimes we we try to conform, we try to mm. fit in. And actually as coaches, I think we need to let people be authentic mm. and you know, shine um in on their own terms, in their own way. But um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll change the world on that. But you know, as marketeers, we were taught that actually uh, yeah, you adapt and you mm. uh, 
Uh, and that's what I try and do. So I don't know if you find that sometimes that you, you sort of try and adapt little subtle things just to, I don't know, build rapport with somebody or fit in. I don't know. I think, you know, you do those tests, right? Where you do like the personality test where you're red, blue, green, yellow, whatever. So I find those really difficult, right? Because I feel like over the years, I've tried to learn so much about how do I be a good leader that I don't actually know what my baseline is anymore, right? I don't know if I was just raw, how would I be, right? Because I think about the question and I think about how actually what's the best thing to be in that situation, right? So I feel like there's constant adapting, right? So I know that my baseline is relatively quite chilled, quite calm, right? But outside of that, I don't know what actually makes me angry because when something triggers me, I go through the process of thinking, should I be bothered about this? Should I not? So I don't know anymore, like what my default would be, you know? Interesting. Interesting. And, and it's interesting you talk about your defaults because I think we're constant. Well, we talk about the growth mindset, mm. constant evolving. Exactly. I think, well, it, there's never business as usual because no. we're constantly, um, uh, you know, from a resilience perspective, we, you know, we've all been taught huge lessons and resilience of bouncing mm. forward. Mm. Um, uh, and I love that. You know, I, I even love the term bounce forward. You know, we don't forward, not bounce it. back. Yeah, I, I heard that. I was like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I like that bounce forward. Bounce forward, yeah. We talked about that a lot at work. You know, what, it, actually, what are the learnings? We don't mm. want to go back to the status quo no. where we were or and mm-hmm. take it forward. So I'm stealing that one. Bounce forward. I'm officially stealing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm stealing that. Um, you mentioned about marketing. And before we started recording, you had a really, for me, it was a really interesting view on marketing and emotional intelligence and why people get into marketing so would you mind going back into that a little bit because that for me I've I've never I've never thought of it that way before yeah so I I guess it's uh and again it's not tested and researched Mm. and um Mm. but I have always thought 10 years of teaching at business school undergrad postgrad MBA all the rest of it um Mm. different courses but you know the marketing specific module um I believe that the the um, people that were on those courses had higher emotional intelligence, mm. and I sort of tried to think about well, why would that be? And 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 you do know that you know you've got sort of a certain profile for lawyers, jobs mm. accountants, yeah, marketeer is unknown to be a little bit more friendly, engaging, mm. or building. Mm. Um, and it you know for me it comes back to the essence. We teach marketers to anticipate and satisfy mm. some needs and to do that you are selfless you have to be you can't self-reference you have to look at the customer look through their eyes at the world um no matter whether you believe agree culturally whether it aligns values align that is their world that is their reality mm. um and i and i think that that's been a really important part of um the evolution of emotional um, intelligence, people thinking about things through the eyes of others. Um, and that for me has evolved to, you know, today I'm really focused on sustainability um, and the impact that we have on planet, on society, but through the lens of people. And, you know, only through engaging people will we, um, you know, drive change where, where we where we need. And we need to do that fast. And, and I guess I'm sort of, very aware that as we were good at what we did you know marketing you know we we really were and we create an environment of you know production consumption sell 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 you know um and and the big turning point for me was a podcast called or or actually a mini film called minimalists or by the minimalists and it just blew my mind i was thinking wow i've trained you 10 years worth of these um emotionally uh, intelligent, fantastic people who have gone out into the universe, who are really good at what they do, marketing products, services, mm. stuff. Mm. So people are filling their their world with stuff, and that stuff is now damaging the planet. And so I, mm. I guess I'm carrying maybe a little bit of guilt around that, and thinking actually now if we can harness that to do good, mm. you know, make sure that w- when we're doing the the marketing and we're understanding the people and influencing in a ethically moral good way um 
that actually it's for good of society mm. and the planet. That, that's where I hope we end up with all of this. Um, mm. so, yeah, that's that's my thought, and I and I do believe that um, marketeers just naturally are drawn. Yeah, you know, I think we get more kinesthetic visual people into that environment, and therefore a higher chance of the emotional mm. intelligence gene coming through. I think that's such an interesting point that you raise about kind of what have people used the skills to do, right? And I yeah. think I think what I'd say is like influencing is a, you know, it's a skill that you can use for good or for evil. You know, you can, you can use it to influence people into good things or to manipulate people into things they don't need, they don't want. And I think what you've taught us is, is a skill set, you know, and in some weird ways, like you're not really responsible for what people do with that you know true yeah you know so i i would say like you taught me a lot of great things that i try and use in my day-to-day -day life for good so just like there are some people who might use it for not so good but there are so many of us who so like greg i still talk to greg you know and yeah. greg is one of those people who uses it for good you know yeah. and i see what he's building and things like that and like he's building things that people really need you know yeah. and he's using those skill sets so I would say like thank you for what you've put into that teaching and it's it's great that you're also pointing at sustainability but like you've also already done quite a lot of a lot of good you know and things that you may not even ever know yeah i know i appreciate that and you know i think that that's a again another privilege that you know I, i've had that ability to mm. you know sit with you on on your respective journeys and mm. uh, as you say i i think there's some your 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 when you find your tribe of like-minded people mm. that's really mm. powerful and i think um yeah it's good to hear that you're still in touch with people from your course and i think mm. you know, finding that coming together um mm. that that teamwork is really important it's yeah you're right it's, it's it's very very important and i think when you said something at the beginning you said about how you're curious right and yeah. the, but these are some of the things that help me to understand now why like even then we got on really well right yeah. so now i'm looking back i'm like i i feel like i like to be really curious and you're really curious and i'm like it's all starting to click now right <laughs> in terms of those like-minded people like curious love sport competitive like it's so fun watching you like relive your competitiveness i love that <laughs> I, I know and, and it, it's a challenge though to also keep that in check yes uh, <laughs> yes Learning that no, leave the competition. <laughs> you are now in an environment where collaborative. And <laughs> it's tough. It's, it's tough. tough. So even at work, when people are like, "Oh, do you want to play this game? Do you want to do this?" I'm like, I don't think you know what you're asking me to do. Yeah, like if you're on my team, it's going to be great. If you're not on my team, you might not like me after. <laughs> Well, but you know what? I think there's a lot in that, though. There is a lot in competition that can be used to motivate people to change. And Absolutely. I think competition more controversially, I know competitions were taken out of schools for a while. It was in my room everywhere. Yeah. Some Everyone wins. No. Actually, you know, there are some brilliant competitions in a workplace environment that can really inspire change in a fun environment because as I say I don't care if I lose at goal um no. come back to me in five years time maybe that will change <laughs> I have no expectation of me on a golf course um at all um so, so in a workplace I think you can use that I think you can harness that and you can still have the fun um, and the engagement uh, I think yeah. it comes down to healthy competition healthy competition is what's really important you know because I think I'm one of those people who like I love competition and I love people winning people losing like for me it's part of life you know people win and people lose and you have to learn how to to process it and also to get better go into the next situation better so I'm a big fan of competition I think that there's definitely unhealthy competition where you're putting people against each other in a way that it doesn't promote anything good yeah yeah and and that's where I think that I think kids need healthy competition, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think that they need to learn or be be taught that actually find finding their superpower is quite important because I think yeah. you know where schools offer very limited options for things like sport, 
Mm. You know, it's the right, you know, are you any good at football or cricket mm. or in, you know, netball or tennis or mm. Mm. Uh, it's just so narrow. You know, actually you're tall, Agreed. you know, um, you know, I, I'm not tall, but, you know, I, I might be, uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm sort of very good with my sort of hand-eye coordination. So yeah, it's sort of like, right, you, you should maybe try the, this, these sort of activities and then up to mm. sports. But um, yeah, just, I think that that's really that that actually is okay not not, we're all different and actually celebrate that i guess it comes back to the core of you know celebrating diversity diversity i need a good team what's a good team look like as a leader i want a variety skill i don't need everybody to have emotional intelligence i'd like people to be aware of their colleagues and understand how their message lands and how they interact that's interesting do you you think that not everybody should have it um, I don't think it's necessary in a team. If you've got high interesting team, you have a variety of, of people. I've I've worked in a you know a very large risk department with some very technically brilliant people, um, and you know it was really important for for people to be paired. Um, so you know you might have a real relationship builder and a real technical expert, mm. and they work really closely together, and they would understand their roles. And I think that's the important part of talked about psychometric testing and but mm. that's really powerful to say look you know with team of two team of five a team of ten mm. doesn't matter have i got all of those colors covered that you talked about mm. that green blue red blue yellow green yeah and do people know their roles do they know right you're the one who brings emotional intelligence to this group you know mm. ha- help those that need um support with that likewise um you know if if We've got very logical conversations that need to be had. Who else in the group is is good at that? And yes, it's just teamwork. That's so interesting. Basketball but in a business environment. I I would have thought though that if everybody had emotional intelligence in a team, the team would be a better team. So, because I feel like sometimes like we trade off technical skills or you know seniority for emotional intelligence, and I feel like if even the technical person you know if they've got emotional intelligence because for me it takes emotional intelligence to understand your role if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so for you to be able to say in this team so when i was at uni i was one of the starters but then when i went to semi-pro i was like bottom of the run right and i had to understand my role embrace my role and play my role and i feel like that's part of emotional intelligence too No, it's an inter- it's an interesting perspective that if everybody had it, mm. uh, I think, uh, yeah, I I think people can again nurture nature. I think people can mm. learn mm. Uh, to understand uh, a particular characteristic, and they can mm. mimic it. Um, they can work on it, mm. uh, and I I certainly think that things like the psychometric testing, but then. With support, I, I get really concerned around psychometric testing in isolation, mm. Mm. coaching and Agreed. help. Okay, I'm a blue, or you know, I'm I think I'm a yellow. But yeah, well, mm. okay, what do with that information? And how yeah. do I work with you? And you might be a blue. And how do we mm. come together? That's really, really important. Uh, Agreed. That people are supported with that. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I I I'm not a believer of here's a weakness work work to death on it you know one of my strengths one of my superpowers mm. i bring the team environment what do you bring let's work together um mm. my, it has been my ethos through the years rightly or wrongly that's that's the direction of travel and and i think that that for me is emotional intelligence though right is that if i'm aware of my strengths i'm aware of so for example in my team i have people who do all the things that i can't do right because I'm very aware that this is what I'm good at. I'm not good at these things. So I surround myself with people who are good at those things. And that's their superpower. You know, it means that I can do my superpower really well. And they can do theirs really well. And there's no, like, there's no issues. They don't feel like I'm doing stuff that they should be doing. Because I can't, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I think you're right. Like, definitely, like, w- highlight your strengths. There are some weaknesses that it's worth working on a little bit. But not worth paying all my time into. You know, there are some things that, like, I just know that I'm never going to be able to do that. Yeah. And and there was, I listened to a really interesting podcast last week. Um, this lady called Lorna Davis, um, yeah. who is uh, at Danone. And she talks about the recovering superhero. 
And I just really, so she talks about people who want to be the hero. It's sort of, right, don't worry, leave it to I me. Yeah. This out, yeah, put your, um, yeah, roll your sleeves up and it's all about me. Um, and she, she also has a great, um, she talks about pink shoulder pads, which just really resonate, you know, sort of walking into the room all sort of, like, I'm really important and I'm going to save the day. And it just really got me to think about, you know, times where you sort of say, yeah, some leaders do this. It's sort of, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm the superhero around here. I'll get it. And I, I, yeah, maybe that is emotional intelligence where you say, actually, that I don't I don't want to be the superhero. Yeah. I don't have my talent and my super strengths are, but actually, I'm not the hero. I'm not here to save the day. I'm here to, you know, be mm -hmm. the 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 conductor of this orchestra and, and get mm -hmm. get it so the line as a collective. Do you know what I can I can really identify with that because for me to take the promotion that I got I had to move teams and in my old team the thing that my boss always said to me is look you need to get better at delegating right yeah. because yeah. sometimes when it comes to it, I'm just like okay I'll just do it if it needs to get done I'll just jump in because I have the skill set to do it and I can do it I moved into a team where my team has a much better skill set and the things that need to be done so I can't jump in and get my hands dirty and do all that stuff I have to conduct from the outside, you know, and it's actually forced me to become a better leader because I can't get it done myself, you know, yeah. and and that's something that I think that recovering superhero thing, I think, especially for, for sports people, right, where like my performance depends on what I, my skills. So I practice, I practice, I practice so that I can execute. Yeah, yeah. You know, but so for me, it's hard sometimes to let go of that control. I think it, that's probably what it is for me. Yeah, no, it, no, it's it's interesting, and I guess that you know the psychologists have got into our sort of ego, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we we align ourselves. You know, is that we we used to talk in branding. You know, it, is my product talking to your authentic self, mm. or you know, the self that you would aspire to have? You know, mm. my mm. product um, for the aspirational self, and then it's not all with that. But ultimately, you know, if that's not the real them, um, you know, it's the and you you need as a, as a marketeer, you need to understand when, what type of product you've got and which category it fits into. But often, it's easier to sell something that's aspirational because people buy the dream. Oh well, this will make me yeah. cool. This will make me um, perceived in a certain way in my you know uh, amongst my peers. Um, yeah. So no, I think leadership's the same. It's like okay, is this authentically me as a leader? Or is is this my aspirational self? Um, yeah, and I, and I want you know I want I want my teams to be authentic. I think that I've I've really understood the difference: stress, time of work, sickness. People who are being authentic just um, they're folk channeling their energy where they need it most, rather than I think it's quite yeah. It takes a lot of energy to live beyond a different life. Yeah, because that's one of the things that they talk about in the in the insights test where you have the colors they've got the the flow which shows that you know this is your natural state this is you at work and this is how much effort you're having to put in between exactly. you being at home and you being at work yeah. um and that's what they that's one of the key indicators for them of someone who's going to be stressed is someone who has to be really different at home and really different at work for example yeah exactly you know exactly right yeah Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, Absolutely. I all enjoyed it. Me too. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. Um, is there anything you'd like to say before we close? Any like parting thoughts? No, I just, I, I just think it's been a really interesting journey, and I guess my, my, my parting thought would be just to encourage people to take the time to understand what it is that makes them tick. Because and we've talked about lots of examples here today of ways, whether it's the getting the psychometric testing, whether it's getting external coaching to help reflect back things perhaps you can't see, the blind spots that you can't see. I just think it's worth it's time really well spent. Um and it, it just I think it leads to a more healthy, happier working life as well as social. So uh, you know, I mm. think that's work life balance. If you really understand what makes you tick, mm. um, yeah, I wish I'd understood the sort of 
understanding you know at school and back in the day I really wish I'd understood you know what made me tick but you know mm. better late than never but, but yeah I'd Absolutely. really want to to go on that journey um and then I think the second part is that listening and understanding mm. you know it's not just about sitting there listening the work on that you know I, I'm still a work in progress on that you know what do I do as a result of the information you've just given me and how I react and so no, I think it's it's a fascinating topic of leadership, and I think it's really important. And as I say, in the boardroom, absolutely essential. So yeah, no, but thank you very much. It's been absolutely fantastic to have the opportunity to catch up and mm. yeah, see what you're up to. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you, and thank you everyone for listening. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode.